Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist, here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. We love hearing from you. It's a question-driven show. And uh, we got a bunch of questions today, so we're going to try to get to all those, talk about some of the uh, assistant coaching moves and moves that have not been made yet with Dan Weber. So welcome, Dan. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Looking forward. Looking forward to all those good questions. Yeah. So it was funny. There was uh, we, we get unsolicited advice a lot of times, you know, when we're in positions oh, yeah. that we do. And uh, there was a really interesting thread, actually, with some good suggestions. And it's funny uh, about questions here on the show a lot of people, um, I mean, it's been, we've done this for 10 years. It's always been a question-driven show, but there was a thread on the parastyle on uscfootball.com where people complaining about, I hate when you read the questions, the questions are too long, don't play the voicemails. And it's like, well, that's kind of the whole point of the show. And it's, and, and they're like, well, we would like to get them, uh, pared down a little bit or maybe summarized. And I'm like, you know, I, I've tried to do that sometimes, but it's really, it's hard. It's like, you know, to go through everyone's questions and try to like edit them all. It's, I don't, I mean, it's just, I don't have time for that kind of stuff. So I, I do that a little bit, but it's just hard to do. But it's funny because I've gone on the, the podcast before, Dan, and said, hey, can we keep the questions short? And I've, I was kind of harping on that for a while. Then I got a lot of hate mail. <laughs> like yeah. it was kind of like you're being smug or, you know, who do you think? And I was like, oh man. So uh, like you can't please everybody, but. Um, there, where there's a little conflict going on right now. I think the Peristyle, the regular podcast people, I think like the longer podcast and, but the, I think the Peristyle people who just listen to the podcast, who aren't like just podcast people, they don't like the, the user interaction, I guess, as much. Yeah. I don't find the questions all that long. I mean, I know, I think you, you do a pretty good job of just, you know, the few that, that you really think are, are too long of paraphrasing. But uh, but I like it, getting the sense of uh, who the question questioner is and what they really are, are looking forward to. Heck, I think uh, the answers <laughs> are probably too long sometimes. Uh, not so much the questions, but uh, no, I think uh, I like to hear you know uh, and get a sense of, of, of where the questioner is coming from. So uh, yeah, I think it's uh, as you say. I think it's a question driven show. And I think it's uh, 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 the questioner's show. I think I like I like it that uh, you know the podcasts are driven by the you know the people that are. This is what I want to know, and this is kind of where I'm coming from. I think that's fine, uh, and and you don't let any of them go way long. So uh, so I think I think I think it's pretty good. Uh, the balance I think is is, is not bad. Yeah, well, we, you know, we appreciate the feedback, and and like I said, it has been. Since we started it, you know, I think the first show with Harvey Hyde many moons ago, question driven. Now, what we've tried to do over the years is expand. And now we're doing two, three, four shows a week. And, you know, you get something different when Harvey Hyde's on or when Dan's on or if I do like a solo show or Shotgun or Keeley. And that, that they have their own show now, which is much less question driven. And we'll do recruiting ones with Gerard and we'll have guests on and stuff. And, you know, when guests are on, it's more about an interview, less than, uh, than questions and stuff. But, um, you know, we do appreciate the feedback. And if, you know, if the majority of people are like, Hey, we're sick of questions. I mean, I mean, certainly we could change that, but I think, you know, we get enough questions and, uh, I do get a little neurotic cause I do try to, it bugs me when there's questions unanswered sitting in my Google Doc, Dan, where I categorize everything. So I went, there's a whole bunch of like solo questions now. I'm like, I got to do a podcast. Um, but it does kind of bug me. I don't, I'd like to get them. I like when people send them in that we, we at least acknowledge that they've sent it in and talked to them. I, I know it's getting a little overwhelming now because we get so many, but I still try to do that. Yeah. And I like it that, that because you do that, uh, you don't have to deal maybe with as many on the parastyle where, you know, people are constantly saying, well, what's the answer? You know, what, what about this? What about that? 
I think the fact that there aren't all that many on the peristyle uh, asking those kinds of questions, and the peristyle is more people saying, here's what I think, uh, I think you give them a chance to say, if, you know, if you've got a question, uh, we'll be glad to you know, deal with it on a podcast. So I think you know, the podcast is one thing, the peristyle is another. And uh, they kind of, you know, go in different directions and they, they work with one another. And, and I think that's a good thing. All right. So before we jump in, we got a bunch of topics today. I want to talk to you about Lisa Beds. I had a great night's sleep last night on my Lisa Bed. I love it. Uh, if you don't know about Lisa Beds, it's a direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that's also socially conscious. So um, I've had mine for a couple months now. Uh, I love it. The, the coolest part is it's delivered to your house like a box you would get like golf clubs or something in. You're like, there's a mattress in there and you open it up and it's like freeze dried. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, you fold it and it's a folded in half and then opens up and it takes about 24 hours to fully expand. Uh, but it's a mattress in there and it's really easy to get to your house. So you don't, you know, moving mattresses are such a pain in the butt. So getting that one delivered right to your front door is great. They, and you know, like I said, they're a socially conscious company. Um, They'll they'll plant a tree for every mattress sold, and they'll donate one percent of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. Um, you can get these online, uh, but they also have a dream gallery in Soho, New York City, and also in Virginia Beach. Um, and you can check them out uh, across the country. There's 80 different West Elm stores nationwide where you can check them out. Um, but they're available in the U.S., uh, the U.K., Canada, and Germany. Um, they also have the Lisa pillow, blanket, sheets foundation and frame all of that's available online uh with free shipping so they're just their mission is to provide a better place to sleep for everybody they also donate mattresses one mattress to a shelter for every 10 that they sell through their one in 10 program so they've donated tens of thousands of mattresses so far so cool stuff and the best part you get a great deal if you're a peristyle podcast listener 100 dollars off a Lisa mattress. If you use the promo code USC, so it's Lisa.com, L E E S A.com slash USC, Lisa.com slash USC promo code uh, USC, where you can check it out and, and get a good night's sleep on a Lisa mattress. It is a pretty cool product. So check it out. I'm glad it was so cool. They sent me one and I loved it when I got it. So um, check that out. All right. So some news I want to talk about, we have to talk about the assistant coaching changes, Dan, uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to mention that I put up finally the uh, scholarship distribution chart. So we've had one on 247 since we moved over, but like the code I had when we were at Scout, it all changed. So I wanted to kind of do it right. So I, I finally got something up that I kind of like. And uh, it's it's kind of a hot topic right now, Dan, because of the number of scholarships. Um, not sure how many USC will have available. Um, not a big senior class. I think there was only 13 guys in the senior class. You have four former walk-ons that uh, you know have scholarships, at least for now. We don't know if that's going to change. There's five special teams players on scholarship, which is kind of strange. And then 10 guys have signed early, nine freshmen and one uh, JC transfer, uh, Caleb Tremblay. So uh, there's 10 guys already I've put on there, and they're counting. You know, there is counting. And then there's four guys that are commits right now. But according to my count, if no, if there's no attrition – USC already has 82 scholarships um, taken up for 2018, which, of course, is, um, you know, it really starts in the summer when it switches over. And that whole, you know, it's a it's a headcount sport. So you have to be at 85 for the for the year. Um, So 82 uh, with only leaving three left. Now, there's definitely going to be some attrition, but the numbers a little tight, Dan. I don't know if you got to check it out. Any thoughts on on the chart? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Uh, uh, what's going to happen with some of those kids? You know, you hear rumors that guys are going to uh, graduate and transfer or that that's the plan, uh, but we don't know, you know, or that, you know, uh, those special teams guys, uh, at least maybe one will move on or the uh, the former walk-ons that, uh, that that might be, you know, more of a, a one-year deal and then, they move on or, or whatever. We just don't know that. We haven't, you know, those are questions. Obviously, uh, we'll have to, you know, when we get a, get a chance to talk to Clay, where, you know, on signing day, uh, those are questions we really uh, 
going to have to, you know, get get answers to. Well, the very fact that what happens on signing day will give us some of those answers when we see, you know, the numbers and who gets signed and and all of that. But uh, but we're you're we're sort of operating in the blind a little bit right now in terms of we don't know all the agreements you know that have been made uh, with some of those scholarships and, and things like that. Then uh, you know. We, we 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 just we really don't know we you know i think the the scholarship chart is great so that you everybody knows this is what we know uh we haven't you know been told anything different uh but probably things are going to change and this is a you know this is gives you kind of a baseline to look at and say here's the numbers if nothing changes and then here are the here are the potential changes, and and I think everybody can kind of figure out what some of those you know what some of those changes might be and where they might be that would give uh, USC uh, a few more scholarships. But uh, we don't know that that's happened yet. Yeah, we just don't know at this point. And obviously, I didn't mention, but you know, four uh, early um, defections to the NFL, so that takes some guys. Without those guys, they'd already be over. <laughs> The 85 uh, man right. limit. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. But I think the obvious areas, um, I mean, do you need two punters and two kickers? Will, uh, like, a you know, Chris Tilby, will he move on? Um, you know, there, any guys that kind of graduated early, will they, you know, kind of move on? You, you have, you know, there's, we just don't know. Uh, Michael Brown's a little bit different. I mean, he's a, he's a true, uh, oh, yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, he lost. Uh, you know his job to Chase, Chase McGrath, who's a um, who's a true sophomore, and so you know what's going to happen there. Now that was to an injury. Um, I don't know. I just don't see all five scholarship players on special teams really sticking around. Well, it, and and the, and the other part of the special teams is the uh, you know the largest paper in Australia does a story about a uh, former rugby uh, professional rugby player, twenty six years old who announces that he has a, quote, four-year scholarship to the University of Southern California. Uh, and when you ask people at USC, they give you that, uh, no, 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 we don't, you know, we're not announcing anything, you know, wait till signing day, whatever. But uh, so he's not even on the chart because we have no idea if the story is true or not. But, uh, but you know, it, the story says he's, uh, you know, left, uh, well, I, I said rugby. He, it's actually Australian rules football. He's left his uh, career as a professional to go to USC as a punter. <laughs> it, 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 it just seems crazy if you've already got two punters on scholarship that you're bringing in another guy from Australia. That, uh, But, again, you know, stay tuned. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. We tried to find out, and... Uh, and uh, haven't haven't gotten any answers as to whether that's you know that's a tryout, uh, whether that's uh, you know a walk on, whether that's whatever. We we really just don't know. Yeah, that would either have to be a blue shirt for 2019 or a walk on or whatever. But that's that's kind of weird. And then you know you got guys like Elijah Elijah Juan Tucker. I don't know why I had a hard time saying that. Right. Um, who you know red shirt red shirt last year. Um, you know, talked about being a graduate transfer, I think with shotgun and, you know, likely, you know, he sat out, you know, uh, under his own will. So like he would probably go somewhere. So there, there I mean, there's a few spots like that that'll open. I, I think when it's all said and done, um, four or five spots open up and, and USC will bring in the four committed guys plus, you know, three, four more, something like that. Yeah. You would think that that, sounds about right that sounds uh i mean not as big an impact on their on signing day uh but uh the impact is kind of uh answering the question uh, who's who's available how many are available and that kind of thing so there is some uh you know there is some suspense some mystery uh you know going into signing day for sure uh and i'm sure obviously they the coaches no way. This is an area where they know way more than we know. I mean, they know all the discussions. They know all the agreements, all of, you know, who's going to move on. And, and, and we don't have any 
any understanding of, of, of where that's going with, uh, with a lot of those guys. And then some of it might still be up in the air a little bit. Um, so uh, stay tuned for, uh, uh, for February. Yeah, it should be interesting. And uh, what's also interesting, and you had a, uh, a pretty good column uh, you're just asking uh, about USC coaching changes. And, and one of the, the lines early on, you should check it out on uscfootball.com, um, I, I think that kind of puts it in perspective. USC, of course, um, promoted uh, from within for two of the three uh, hires right now. So there's still one open spot. They haven't replaced Dylan McCullough, the uh, running backs coach. Um, but Kiri Colbert um, promoted. He's uh, you know he was an offensive quality assistant. He's now coaching inside receivers and tight ends. And Brian Ellis, who was coaching quarterbacks for the uh, Cotton Bowl, uh, was made the permanent quarterback uh coach so um those are kind of a couple changes that were made i I guess it takes a little bit off the plate of t martin that kerry colbert will coach the inside receivers and it also takes a little bit off the plate of uh john baxter who was coaching tight ends and uh now kerry colbert will be doing that so he's the 10th assistant guy but you know obviously it's been panned by a lot of usc uh, fans on the Peristyle and on Twitter and everything that you have uh, coaches that, you know, another coach that was a Western Kentucky guy uh, that, that USC fans just love that bringing in more Western Kentucky people. But um, I, I think that in general, what you wrote early on was about bringing in guys who could question what you're doing. Hey, could you do it this way? Or what if this happened? Like that's, I think the main aspect when you hire from within, you're not going to get anyone that's kind of questioning anything you do. They're young coaches who are just going to go along with the program. When you bring in someone from the outside, they can go, you know, this is what I did here. Like Dylan McCullough's like, you know, I ran all these drills with these different footballs and, and uh, you know, attachments and all this stuff, and it worked well. And look, you know, they didn't fumble the ball as a, as a running back group. So I think that's one of the things that's missing is just outside opinions. And I think that's one of the things you made clear early on in your column. Yeah, I think uh, even as good uh, hire and as great an assistant coach as Delane McCullough was, and as much impact as what he did, uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody coach running backs any better in terms of the carryover from the, the weighted footballs, the, you know, the water-filled footballs, the, uh, the way he used the, uh, uh, the garbage cans and that as, uh, uh, as a targets and, and, and giving guys teaching them the ability to make, uh, make uh, a first cut and then a second and third level cut. Uh, the, little, the drill that he had where, where you can uh, uh, exert extra pressure on the football with this spring-loaded uh, you know, contraption that he controlled was fabulous stuff. And yet, in the long run, how much did that impact USC's ability to run the ball in difficult situations uh, against really physical opponents who really brought brought it against USC, uh, against the Ohio States, against Notre Dame, uh, not even a great uh, defensive team, against the Texas who really brought it. Uh, USC didn't hit. And so just having one assistant coach who brings a lot of new ways of looking at things still doesn't necessarily have an impact on a, a team with talent, for example. You know, USC had the number 13 offense in the country, total offense, and yet they were number 120 in the red zone. I mean, that's just that's mind-boggling. So I don't know that that's, uh, you know, that's coaching. I mean, let's look at USC. They have, if you look at Daniel Jeremiah's list of uh, top 50 prospects for the NFL draft, Sam Darnold is number six, I believe, and Ronald Jones is number 12. So you have two of the top 12 offensive players in this NFL draft, and you finished number 120 out of 129 teams in in the red zone. That's just so unacceptable. I mean, it says so many bad things about the schemes, the play calls, and practice, execution, toughness. When the going gets tough down there, uh, you know, in the red zone, you got to be tough. And so 
this is they're the kind of thing that I think they've really got to figure out. Now they're given uh, they're given Clay uh, Clay's given T more time to do that, uh, and they're you know taking away the responsibility of teaching those tight ends how to block from uh, uh, John Baxter. Not that necessarily Kerry Colbert has been, um, you know, he's been a wide receiver, obviously, but he has been working with the tight ends. This may free him to, you know, to really get the job done. It was because it was so obvious, like in the Ohio State game, that the tight ends were just, had no ability to block his Ohio State uh, defensive ends. It's just none. It was just not even worth talking about. Uh, and that has to change. And so, it puts the hat a little bit on the guys that uh, that need to improve and, and need to be able to focus on what they're doing. And with John Baxter, uh, you know, special teams, figure it out. Uh, you know, get a get a return guy. Uh, you know, and, and and just in general, a lot of improvement. But uh, but it, it's a kind of a, an entire staff thing that has to come together. And as you say. If what you know now, obviously, Kerry Colbert brings in, he was at, at Alabama with, with Nick Saban. So he's got, you know, both uh, grew up at USC, came back to USC, but he brings that with you. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the Western Kentucky thing, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of Western what Western Kentucky did with Jeff Brom. How much of that was all Jeff Brom, uh, who went on to Purdue last year or not, uh, I don't know. I know this, uh, that uh, Western Kentucky had, you know, back-to-back top 25 teams, which is crazy uh, for somebody like me who grew up in Kentucky. There is no possible way Western Kentucky should have had back-to-back top 25 teams, and they were legit top 25 teams. So you like it that, you know, you had uh, Neil Calloway and Tyson Helton and now, uh, you know, Brian Ellis coming out of there, but uh, – uh, it didn't seem to help USC much uh, when they got in the red zone. Didn't help them much on fourth down or third down, and um, that's got to change. So we'll see, uh, you know, where this all goes and how you put it all together. But uh, but you can see why people would be a little nervous about this or a little wondering: Is this bringing in enough outside expertise again? One of the things you and I have uh, an advantage of, we've seen uh, hundreds and hundreds of Pete Carroll practices. And, it, and this is not to personalize it with Pete. It's more about talk to Sean Cody, you know, anybody, any of those guys who played during that time at USC, and they, will, they more likely will talk about how great their practices were than their games. And it's something that, is missing now. They don't quite have the same, you know, feeling about practice. And, and uh, USC kids back in the day came out of practice so convinced nobody could beat them. They were more ready, more. They worked harder. They worked smarter. Uh, they were tougher. And when push came to shove, they were going to do the right thing in games. And I don't. Ha- you don't have that sense that the team now has a feeling of we're going to do the right thing when push comes to shove. We're going to do – and that's what a big part of what practice is all about, is convincing them that you've worked under so much pressure in practice. It doesn't have to be physical pressure. It doesn't have to be tackling guys to the ground, beating people up every day. But practice in a way that's so much like game, and you're going against the best guys on your team that uh, you're more prepared – when when games uh, when game time comes and that seems to be missing uh, in this program and that's I think the key thing that has to happen in the off season uh, that sense of we're going to have you uh, coming out of practice so prepared for games you're not going to have you're not going to show up anymore and look like you're surprised that Notre Dame is punching you in the mouth because they really 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 want to win this game or you're surprised that, wow, those Ohio State guys are really fast. Uh, uh, that's got to stop, got to go away. Uh, they gotta, they got to come together and figure it all out. We'll see. I mean, you know, this is the big test, I think, for Clay, obviously. 
It is a big test, and uh, I definitely recommend you check out Dan's column up on the front page of uscfootball.com. We want to jump into some questions, and, you know, some people complain about long questions. We got two Tarks, Tark with a K and Tark with a Q. Both are, are very short question guys, and they're great. They're usually really good questions right to the point, so we love them. Um, Tark with a Q are the newly promoted coaches of Brian Ellis and Kiri Colbert good at recruiting? What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, we've heard we've heard good things about Brian Ellis uh, and and the quarterback recruiting, and uh, I think he's uh, can he he think he likes it. I think he enjoys it. I think he's uh, um, it's a different world recruiting in in, in Los Angeles. If you're going to do some national recruiting, you have to commit more time to it. It's just not the same as if you're in the middle of the country. Uh, and uh, so I think it's it's something of an adjustment, and I think it was kind of an adjustment for Tyson Helton a little bit. Uh, I think Brian Ellis, uh, I think I think that's a plus. I think Kerry, because I think with Kerry Colbert, the fact that he he was that kind of a player at USC, he was the you know a leader. He was a you know a guy that showed up, a guy that Pete Carroll said, of all his players, this is the one he thought would go on. The coaching success. Um, he had the NFL career and the Alabama career. So uh, I don't know that you could have more, uh, you know, in your resume than, than Kerry does, you know, in terms of, of being able to be a successful recruiter at USC. So I think, uh, you know, the net, uh, I mean, obviously losing Delan, there's some of the things you can't, uh, you can't replace uh, his ability. Uh, you, you know, he was a Midwestern guy, so he was able. He had connections in places uh, USC hadn't had anybody, and he also was uh, had a, a lot of Florida uh, connections. So, uh, you know, it could be hard to you know replace the land, but they still have one more hire. So, you know, we'll see where they go with that. But yeah, I think a net. I think a net plus uh, with uh, with uh, Kerry and Brian uh, in terms of recruiting. We have uh, a, a voicemail question about coaching, too. I'll play it for you. J.D. from D.C. with this week's question for Dan or Ryan could take this question, too. Guys, I uh, really appreciate uh, Gerard's recon this week. It really clarifies things. And you actually have to – your hat's off to help them kind of a strange way to – Secure Ellis and uh, Colbert as uh, coaches. You know, if this is only a one-year gig, I can't imagine anybody doing any better than that for a uh, you know a head coach who's on a lifeline at this point. Uh, so I, I think fans should stop browsing about those and just embrace them and see what they can do next year. The uh, Baxter retention is a head scratcher, but you know it also illustrates why. Len Swan isn't sold on this head coach and why he still feels he's got to prove himself next year. I, I have no doubt that Swan will open up the pocketbook for whoever is the coach in 2019 at USC because they're going to have to be a proven coach, whether it's Clay Helton proving he should be coaching at USC or coming back next year. But uh, I'm really thinking, hey, isn't Reggie Bush a really viable candidate for the running backs coach, I mean, what have they got to lose? Big upside uh, if they went in that direction. Well, um, JD, I think the voice of absolute reason <clears throat> in terms of, uh, of of elevating the two grad assistants, because I think <clears throat> I think what what gets overlooked there is having those two as grad assistants. It took some looking down the road by Clay to be able to have a Brian Ellis on staff and to be able to have a Kerry Colbert on staff and be able to, uh, you know, have them in position to make this move. <clears throat> and if you're in a position where maybe you can't go out and invest uh, either big bucks or long-term contracts, I think, as J.D. said, that's a, a really good way to do it, and it shows, uh, you know, a, a real positive side in terms of, of staffing. Um, as far as uh, I'm trying to think, uh, and then JD uh, talked about the results this year will determine, uh, you know, where you go from now, you know, and if uh, if you become, you know, the kind of program that they say, wow, okay, they really 
they've got this all figured out, and we can't afford to lose this guy. Uh, I think the purse strings loosen up, you know, significantly in the long-term contracts, uh, you know, or the longer term or the multi-year deals, uh, you know, become uh, more obtainable. So are they coaching, uh, you know, for their futures? Probably. I think that's, uh, that's true. Should they be in pretty good shape? Yeah. I mean, let's face it. The first two years, you've won 21 games. You won a, a Rose Bowl. You won a Pac-12 championship. Uh, whether that's, uh, you know, you didn't do as well last year as you should have and, and as everybody expected. And I don't think those expectations were, uh, were uh, unreasonable. Uh, this was a year that the Pac-12 team should have been able to get to the playoffs and uh, they needed to play better. Uh, in most of those games, and and didn't, and uh, there are too many penalties, too many mistakes, um, uh, you know, too many issues with the play calling, and and all of that kind of thing. Too many, uh, giving up too many long uh, long plays on defense where you you really, you know, it was busted coverage or, or just mistakes, uh, and uh, for a defense that probably should have performed, you know, they they performed well when they had to much of the time, but they didn't always, uh, you know, do that for, for 60 minutes a game. So all of those issues, you know, come together and, uh, you know, this is, this is who you got, but you got a chance. I mean, let's face it, you got by far the best personnel in the Pac-12. I don't care what the quarterback situation is. This is a team going into next year that ought to be able to win the Pac-12 on defense. And I'll be able to go in and say, we're not going to, you know, we're, you can't win this conference over us because we're not going to let you because we've got the kind of defense, the kind of personnel, and the kind of depth on defense that we're just not going to let people beat us in this conference, and, and and they shouldn't. So, I mean, USC, I think, has to have that kind of sense of swagger that, uh, you know, we have better people, and we're going to be better prepared this year. And we're going to, you know, we're not going to let you come in and, uh, and, and anybody in the Pac-12 uh, take advantage of anything. Uh, we're just not going to let you in the game. And I think that I, and I also wrote last week that I think that would be the place you'd like to see this USC program go. I know Clay is the third straight former uh, quarterback and quarterback coach and offensive coordinator running the program. But I'd love to see him go to the roots of, of the turnaround under Pete, which was Pete, the defensive coach and the defensive coordinator, and they really got things turned around on defense. Now, the in a way, the unfortunate part of it is getting the program turned around. They did it with Carson Palmer, who won a Heisman at quarterback, and then they got all of these offensive stars coming through the pipeline, and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and uh, – and uh, Lendell White and, and those guys and all those wide receivers, that the program became much more offensive-minded. And um, I don't think you've got as much control of, of you know, week to week to week. Uh, it's like good pitching in baseball. You've got good pitching in defense. It's really hard to beat you in baseball. And I think the same thing with football. So you'd like to see kind of a, you know, with, with Cam Smith back and Porter Gustin, and the young talent on, on the defensive line and all those safeties, when you look at them, you just think this is a team that, that's built to really stop people. And if they go that direction, I'm, I'm very cool with it. As far as Reggie Bush, I don't know. I, it's just, you know, he would be, uh, you know, somebody that people would say, you know, we're still stunned at how many kids remember Reggie Bush, uh, you know, who were in, you know, middle of grade school when Reggie was doing what Reggie was doing. What you don't know, and Reggie was a great practice player, and this is what you would tell, like I remember talking to Ronald Jones about, I said, wow, you know, you did that. That's kind of how Reggie get, got practice started every day. And Ronald said, wow, you saw Reggie Bush in practice? And he said, yeah, actually, that's how he did things. So he was a great practice player, whether that would carry over, uh, you know, to all the technical things, um, you know, uh, that you would need out of a running backs coach, uh, and whether that's the way to go. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I worked for the Cincinnati Reds back in the day when, uh, when, 
Pete Rose both played, and then they brought him back as a manager. And he was maybe the best practice player, the best fundamentally sound guy, uh, the best teammate, uh, made the all-star team, you know, team, started an all-star team at five different positions. I mean, he's unheard of. He might have been the worst manager ever. And so does that carry over, uh, you know, from a, a, you know, superstar athlete to, uh, to a coach? Boy, man, I, I just, I don't think you have any idea. Uh, and, and it's kind of a crapshoot uh, going that direction. So, so I, it's intriguing, an intriguing thought, you know. Heck, if I had my druthers, I, I'd be on the phone with Marcus Allen saying, hey, Marcus, would you, uh, you want to spend a year or two uh, helping the USC football program out that you care so much about? Maybe, uh, uh, maybe somebody like that. Uh, but um, interesting thought. I'm not sure how it, how it works out, J.D. All right. Thanks for that one, uh, J.D. It's funny. I was listening to our friends over at Raina Troy. Uh, they, did, they did do a podcast for like a month, but uh, they had one on, and they had, had mentioned me. And Michael brought up that I was kind of talking about like a Rooney rule for USC, which not necessarily what I was talking about. Mine was more of an absolute where I'm saying at this point, I would say USC cannot hire anyone that has anything to do with USC before. So if you do mm-hmm. that, you basically guarantee that you're only looking at their resume and what they bring to the table and not, well, he's here or he played here or stuff like that. But I kind of like the Michael's idea of a Rooney rule where, yeah, if you want to hire Marcus Allen, that's fine, but you have to interview someone from outside or two people from outside first. So at least you look. Because it just seems like, Dan, when they're hiring people, they're not even looking at this point. Yeah, I mean, and they don't have to. I mean, and now, I'll give them credit. They set it up so they had those two guys in the pipeline. And I, I like that. So that's a plus. Uh, not talking to anybody from the outside, not a plus. So that's uh, yeah, a good idea. I, I like the, uh, uh, I don't know what what the name you would, you would give it, but. Uh, the dealing uh, rule. Yeah. It's the uh, dealing rule. You have uh, to interview someone from outside. <laughs> like that one worked. Like do that again. Yeah, a non, uh, yeah, non, uh, and I think I think the connection was that the the T Martin had played maybe in the in the Canadian League, and I don't think he was there very long, and I don't think the land was there very long, but I think they crossed paths there, and he that might have been you know the one the one connection that uh, that got him you know to the I think the best running backs coach in the country that they could have hired. I don't think. I mean, I think you can almost say with certainty they got the best guy in the country. And it showed, and it was obvious. And uh, I think that's the, that's the requirement, you know, for that position. Now, I know there's, you know, some thought that, well, maybe you slide um, Johnny Nansen to running backs. You know, he's done, he's done it all. And then you bring in a, an outside linebacker's coach. But, uh, but we'll see. And we'll see what happens, you know, does everybody – you know, you can say right now, well, it looks like the staff is set, but that's not necessarily the case. There are a lot of jobs available in the NFL, the way the NFL has gone this year. There are a lot of, a lot of new coaches and a lot of hires and hires still to come. So, uh, so I don't know that we absolutely can say this staff is set in stone right now. Okay. We got a few more questions. Uh, Rex in Georgia, he said, hello, Dan and Ryan. Love your show. So thankful for all the information you guys provide us fans. I know there's going to be a quarterback competition in the spring and again in the fall, but based on what you've seen, who do you see being the number one quarterback, Fink or Sears, or do you see JT Daniels coming in and beating them out? Thanks, Rex in Georgia. Thanks, Rex. Uh, The way I like to do this is I like to let them settle it, and I like to let them figure it out. And I think the two-step process is a really good thing. I like the idea of, uh, of Matt and Jack uh, going head-to-head in the spring. I think they deserve that. And I think uh, the, the team deserves that to see, you know, kind of who emerges. If anybody emerges, uh, there's no guarantee that, you know, you're going to have one, one guy, uh, obviously, you know, the winner there. But I like the idea of, 
getting that one kind of out of the way, and then uh, uh, JT Daniels coming in in the summer and, and seeing how that plays out. And, uh, and this is where if, if you don't think coaching matters and it's all about recruiting, well, no, this is where coaching matters, how they handle this uh, is really going to be important. The fact that they've gone through it with uh, uh, Max Brown and Sam Darnold is probably a real plus for this staff. The fact that what happened in the championship game with two true freshman quarterbacks mattering, you know, so much for Georgia and Alabama probably, uh, you know, will play into, into all of this. I mean, I think a couple of years ago people would have just said, a true freshman who's not going to be here for spring ball? No way. Forget it. Can't happen. Won't happen. Everybody's saying that now. Uh, so I think that makes it, you know, really interesting. I, I mean, I think the, the one question you've got is, is JT Daniels this, uh, and I, I do think it's a good word, is he this quarterback savant? Is he just this kid that comes along every so often who just sees things clearly, who, who knows what, what play to make and, and knows where the ball has to go before it's obvious where it has to go. I mean, there are, there are people like that, uh, that they just see things that other people don't see. And the game is easy for them. I mean, and again, transferring it even from the best high school program in the country from the best high school league in the country all of those things uh transferring them immediately to college can you do that i don't think i don't think we absolutely know uh but uh it's going to be interesting as heck uh you know they all have different skill sets you would think that if if, if it's jack or, or matt think you would think when they run the run pass option they're going to actually maybe have the quarterback run the ball uh, why they didn't do that more with Sam, uh, especially in the Ohio State game when it didn't look like Ohio State had him uh, uh, defended all that well when he kept the ball. I don't know. Uh, there were some some things you you really do have to question whether this helps them figure out what they're going to do. And it'll be interesting too because you've got two kind of different quarterbacks like you had with Max and Sam. Uh, and whoever comes out of the uh, Jack Sears and, and Matt Fink uh, duel, or however that works, or if both of them come out, uh, uh, JT Daniels is, is a different skill set, uh, more athletic than I think any of us realized uh, before this year, and, and bigger and stronger and quicker. Uh, but he, he's a different, he's coming from a different place. And so how do you work those two things in? Uh, I know it's one of the problems that they've had in the NFL uh, where they're so worried about a running quarterback uh, because if he gets hurt, very often the guy behind him isn't going to be able to run the same offense. So uh, uh, how they you know, put that all together will be a you know, real challenge, and, uh, and it will be the kind of development you want to see in this coaching uh, and this coaching staff as to how they handle that, but uh, but I don't, I don't think I don't think it would be smart at all to try to handicap handicap that right now because uh, I think it's going to be up to them and the coaches and give them all you know the right shot. The other part of a problem, and this was the problem with Sam Darnold, is he did so many things that you only knew he could do under live game type conditions you didn't know when they stopped the play when a you know a defender gets anywhere near the quarterback you didn't get to see sam really be sam in that head to head with max brown uh he got into games and they said oh wait wow look look what he's doing against the pass rusher look what he's doing under pressure and all that kind of thing so how they design practice and how they design it in order to get uh, you know the most accurate picture of which one of those guys in that yellow jersey is the guy and uh and that's a challenge because you know you don't want them hit you don't want them uh you know taking shots and yet you want it to be as close to game action game tempo game pressure game speed as possible and 
again, the quarterback uh, situation, we kind of a microcosm of the whole team. How do you get them to that place in practice? And uh, we'll see. This is, uh, this is why they pay the coaches the big bucks. It is. Well, we got to get some of those big bucks, Dan. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tarek says, with Deontay Burnett, Tarek with a K, heading to the NFL, could you see Tyler Vaughn's moving inside or Joseph Lewis taking his place uh, and Joseph Lewis taking his place on the outside? You know, I more see Joseph Lewis going inside with his body uh, maybe than, than Tyler. I, I just think Tyler looks like an outside guy to me uh, in every every way. I mean, I know that they're pretty interchangeable in a lot of ways, uh, you know, with the USC offense, but, uh, but I, 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 would, I would keep Tyler outside from everything I know, you know, right at this point. And, uh, and Joseph is, you know, Joseph's, you know, halfway to being a tight end at times when you see him, you know, and you think, man, he's a big, strong, fast kid. Um, so, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't think I need to move Tyler. Uh, I think he's fine. Um, we had Paul D. Uh, right in. It's kind of long, and it's it's a it's a little bit older. So uh, he's really concerned about the defensive backs. He likes the way the line play is. Uh, you know, or the way they're recruiting on the lines. He's concerned about some of the players they lost out, like uh, Jaden Woodby on as defensive backs. Um, he said USC should go after Demetrius Martin. Uh, obviously, he's uh, he's already got a job, but right. um, so he's like he said USC simply cannot afford to lose out on three of the highest rated defensive backs in the state country to the SEC and the ACC schools. Look forward to hearing or reading your response in the near future. So he's he's concerned about that position, Dan. Uh, I mean, first of all, I don't think anybody in the country has a better group of. of in a big athletic, uh, young, uh, safeties. I mean, I, I just, they can line up with anybody uh, in America. And, uh, and, and I do think one of the things that's lost in, in terms of, uh, of the secondary is, uh, Greg Johnson. I, I really, really liked him. Uh, he hurt his shoulder. I thought he'd have been a big factor last year. And I think his return, um, uh, says some really good things about uh, about this secondary. I think they really, uh, uh, you know, have tremendous uh, potential. So, so I'm not I'm not as worried about the athletes there. You know, with Iman Marshall coming back, Marvel Tell coming back, Jonathan Lockett going to be healthy. I think for a, a senior year. So I think uh, more than anything, I I think it's the coaching. I think they can't have the bus. They can't have. They can't get beat on plays where, where they're in position and, uh, and they don't make the play on the ball. And that's coaching, and that has to stop. Uh, so I'm pretty upbeat and pretty optimistic about the state of, of USC secondary, to be honest. I think when we, you, know, you look at those, uh, those young safeties, man, they've got a lot of talent there and uh, got a lot of experience. And so now they just got to get them into, you know, shape as far as uh, being able to make plays. Yeah, I agree with you there. And then one last topic. Uh, we'll let you go. We had Tarion in Vegas, uh, Mark in Crown City, Earl in West L.A. All this week asking about uh, Todd McNair and what's the latest with the trial and all that kind of stuff. And I think some of it's coming from, you know, USC looking for another running backs coach. Uh, oh. But what, <laughs> but what, you know, maybe yeah, I mean, do my, my situation there would be after the trial, if, if I'm USC, I would love to hire Todd as an associate athletic director in charge of, of NFL relations or something like that. Most big programs have a guy who's the, the go-to guy, between your players and, and the NFL scouts and the NFL, you know, talent people and all of that kind of thing. And I, I think, I, I think USC would owe it to, uh, to Todd to get him reinvolved in the program. Uh, by the time this is over, he will probably have done more good for USC than anybody 
could have imagined uh, because of his sticking with this uh, with this case. Um, all that we're hearing, and, and it's so quiet because apparently there's so much discovery going on, and that Todd's attorneys are being extremely thorough and uh, doing all the discovery you can, and probably way more discovery and and probably know a whole lot more than the NCA realized. And so I think very quietly, they're just turning over every rock and asking the NCAA and all this, you know, you know, everything that they can possibly get. I don't even know that they've started the depositions of, um, you know, the people on the NCA staff people and the committee on infractions people, so they have to do that before, and I know it's set for the first week of April. I would guess that that'll be a hard uh, hard push to get everything ready to go by the first week of April. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, if, if I were USC, Todd would be in my future plans. But let's say you hired him now to be the running backs coach. That would be a, one of those, you know, uh, Clearly, if the case goes to trial, the NCAA would say, see, we didn't do that much damage to him. He's able to get another job. The fact that, you know, Todd got close to jobs and then didn't get them uh, is, you know, he's really been, you know, severely damaged. His career has been, uh, you know, more than just sidetracked. And so I think at this point you probably wouldn't consider something like that just because, I do think it would impact uh, uh, impact the trial and this close to the trial. I don't think you want to do anything like that. All right, Dan Weber does a great job for us over at uscfootball.com. Uh, yeah, with the offseason rolling on, we got a couple weeks till signing day. Uh, we'll see offseason workouts. It, it just keeps keeps rolling on, Dan. That's what we do all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have a program where you, you do have these kinds of uh, questions and uh, breaking news and, uh, and 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 potential, and uh, you know, even with uh, with, I mean, you're pretty good shape if you lose uh, a Sam Darnold and a Ronald Jones and a, a Rashim Green and uh, Deontay Burnett, and you still everybody basically says you better win the Pac-12 and you better be thinking playoff, and that's exactly right. That's what you want people to be thinking at USC. You don't ever want them thinking, nah, this isn't the year or whatever. I mean, and there are a lot of programs out there probably thinking that right now. It's good to know that you can, you know, go through those players and have them move on, and you still don't think, uh, uh-oh, this isn't our year. That's maybe next year. Uh, that's good. I like that. All right, Dan Weber. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Want to thank our sponsor, uh, Lisa Mattresses, and uh, thanks everyone else out there for tuning in. We do appreciate your listenership, and uh, you know we'll we'll keep it going through the off season. We'll do at least a couple shows a week, and uh, keep sending in the questions. You know, different topics. You have ideas for topics you want us to talk about, guests, all the things like that. We'll we'll definitely take all that into consideration. All right. Well, I'm going to sign out here. Uh, that's Dan Weber. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.